0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you, you may find your way to the book of Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. It is, it's easy to find. You might be like, Pastor, I don't know my Bible. That's okay. Go to the very last page of the book. Okay, it might be an index. So maybe you in trouble there. Find the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, it'd be our pleasure to give you one. There's some on the table back there, blue covered Bible. Please take one and utilize it. Give it to someone if someone has need. Revelation chapter 22. If this morning as I talk, you are stirred in your heart and have questions, if you have need for prayer in your life, whatever it might be, or if you just want to talk with someone about something that is said all throughout, there are people wearing bright green lanyards, grab one of them and just say, hey, can I talk with you? Can I, could you pray with me? we would be happy to. I myself, I'd be happy to talk with you, to pray with you this morning. Revelation 22, I have been considering this year, uh, perhaps for the first time, I have been considering what is Easter For someone without religious belief. More specifically, what is Easter for someone who doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? A friend of mine grew up, he didn't go to church growing up. I asked this question, he told me. Easter was nothing more than looking for Easter eggs, candy, and maybe a dinner with family. That was it. No explanation of who Jesus was or what he had done. It may be hard for a group of Christians gathered in church on a Sunday morning to realize this, but that is the very likely reality for the vast majority of people that you encounter on a daily basis. Today, throughout the world and in our country, people are coming together for nothing more than chocolate and jelly beans, bunnies and eggs and ham and Cheesy potatoes, which I am kind of excited about eating later. Perhaps until you walked in the door this morning, perhaps until you came in and found the people of God, this was the reality of Easter for you. If that's the case, I am unbelievably glad that you are here with us today. As an answer to prayer that you have joined us. You may not know that, but much debate exists in the church world. Whether Christians or a church should actually call it Easter. Really, Pastor? Yeah, really. There's a lot of debate. Pastor, you haven't said Happy Easter to us. No, I haven't, because there's so much debate. It's even here with us. There's so much debate over what we should call it. Throughout history, indeed, even as the scriptures were being written in the wake of Christ's death and resurrection, as the scriptures were being written, the Lord's people began referring to this day, the first day of the week, as the Lord's day. We read the scripture earlier. Early at dawn, on the first day of the week. For over 2,000 years, God's people had been gathering on the first day of the week because a tomb was sealed with a dead body inside of it, And early at dawn on the first day of the week, it was found to be open and the dead body was gone. And so on a regular basis, every week, God's people come together specifically for the purpose of worshiping the resurrected King, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring glory and praise to God, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the risen and soon returning king of all kings. Would you draw your attention to God's word this morning, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, the 12th verse. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root And the descendant of David, the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you thankful to have sung your praise, to have appealed to you in prayer for help and forgiveness, to have heard your word and to have had our hearts and our minds stirred as your spirit works in the working of your word. And I praise you, Father, that every one of my words will fail, but yours will not. And this morning, God, as we turn our attention to your word, as we seek to learn, Father, as we see what Scripture holds for us as your people and holds for us perhaps as not your people. God, I pray that through the preaching and teaching of your word, Father, that you would humble the sinner to repentance. And I pray salvation. Father, I pray that today through the preaching of your word here and throughout the world, God, that your people would be drawn and that holiness would be promoted among your people. Father, that we would be holy as you are holy. And I pray, God, through the preaching of your word, that Christ, the risen King, would be exalted. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. From the text today, and there is a lot happening here that we are not going to talk about, but from the text today, I see as my responsibility to labor in making four things known to you in this room. So if you're a note taker, now is a great time to get your pen and paper out and I will try to work my way slowly so that you can keep notes as you go. Four things that I believe I am to make known from this text of scripture. One, the guarantee of Christ's return because of his resurrection. Christ is returning and his resurrection guarantees that is an event that will take place, one. Two, the blessing in Christ's return for those who have believed in his resurrection. We heard the scripture earlier. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Belief in the resurrection is vital to our salvation through faith by grace. The blessing in Christ's return for those who have believed in his resurrection. Three, the warning of Christ's return. For those who have not believed in his resurrection, the Bible comes with strong warning. Every time someone is turning away or not interested in the Bible, the word of God declares a strong warning to those that are hearing, but not believing, but not listening. I believe my responsibility is to declare the warning of Christ's return for those who perhaps in this room, perhaps in this moment, have not yet believed in his resurrection. And lastly, to issue the invitation before Christ returns to believe in his resurrection. I pray with God's help to do this today. One, the guarantee of Christ's return because of his resurrection. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the hook upon which all Christianity hangs. It's been referred to in times past as the hinge upon which the door swings, the linchpin which holds all things together. The resurrection is one of the most pivotal pieces of information that a human being can learn about. And it is the only thing that we can believe in and find salvation through. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. We misrepresent God, and we are still in sin. I know there are many in the room today who have felt the freedom from the guilt of their sin. You've felt that freedom, and and though you still may struggle with sin, you have felt and know what it means to be freed from the weight and the penalty of sin. The Bible tells us that if Christ has not been raised, you've felt nothing. That in itself testifies to the resurrection and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't take away from any person who says, I know my sin, and I know that it's gone, and I know that I'm forgiven. Praise God. That testifies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the resurrection did not happen, then this, every week, and every day of our lives is one of the largest shams and the greatest wastes of time we have ever embarked on. And everybody said, Pastor, I don't think you're supposed to say that Christianity is a waste of time. No, I don't say that Christianity is a waste of time because I know that Christ came out of the grave. I am laying before you evidence this morning that you will have to respond to. I know that Christ has come out of the grave. I know that he has risen. In light of his resurrection, I know that he is returning. If Christ has not been raised, the Apostle Paul does not leave the reader wondering if the resurrection happened or not. The Bible does not say, if Christ has not been raised, dot, 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 figure it out for yourself. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I considered briefly Paul's own experience declaring the resurrection of Jesus. When the Apostle Paul, formerly called Saul, was converted, when he was saved from his old life of sin by the grace of God through faith in Jesus and became a Christian, he was converted, he was traveling with a group of men from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he was traveling that way in order to lock up anyone he found, man or woman, who worshipped Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says that he was breathing murderous threats against God's people. The writer of Acts, a man named Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, you could easily call them Luke 1 and Luke 2, written by one author. The writer of Acts, Luke, who investigated, he tells us in Luke chapter 1, the first verses, who investigated everything to record it accurately and precisely and who became a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, he wrote in Acts chapter 9, that as they were traveling, a bright light shone and put Saul to the ground. A voice was heard from heaven, and Saul heard, Acts chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he responded, Who are you, Lord? And the voice came back, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In First Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus appeared to his disciples. Jesus appeared to more than 500 people over a period of 40, 50 days. And in verse 8, the apostle Paul writes, last of all, he appeared to me. Christ indeed is risen. The most common and logical question in response to the statement, Christ is risen, and perhaps you're here, a logical, smart thinker, I'm calling for everyone in the room to use the brain power that Almighty God has given you. The most logical question to ask in response to Christ is risen is this, why did he have to die? People out in the world right now, if you start talking about a resurrected Christ, would say, why did he have to die? Why? It's an excellent question. If you continue thinking, I don't think it will take you long to conclude. He had to die because there was something to accomplish in his death. You would be correct. Further thought will lead you to think, if he accomplished something in his death and then rose again, He had to die, but he did not have to stay dead. So if there was something to accomplish in his death, and he did not have to stay dead, is there something to be accomplished in his resurrection? Why did he have to die? I'm going to say something that will sound controversial. I give that warning because I know I have faithful men who are examining every word that I say, and I don't want any of you to bum rush me and knock me to the ground. Jesus Christ didn't have to die. He didn't have to. Do you understand? Jesus Christ died because infinitely holy and loving, God chose to save those he would save by choosing to die. And it is the most Complex and insane thought for us to think. Why did you do it that way? Because you have never known anything as powerful as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can read the account in Matthew when Jesus comes out, when Jesus dies, people come out of their graves, tombs are opened, curtains are torn, there's an earthquake, the sky is darkened, like all of the cosmos was bowing to the holiness of God in that moment. Jesus was crushed for our sin, and God chose for it to be that way. Jesus himself in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. I lay my life down that I may take it up again. He says in those verses, this is why the Father loves me. This is why the Father is pleased with me because I lay down my life and I will take it up again. No one takes it from me, Jesus said, John 10, 18. I lay it down of my own accord. He didn't have to. He chose to. What does the scripture say to us? God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't have to die. As sinners, which, welcome to the club, we all are. I know that on holidays, people come into church are like, oh man, it's holy people in there and I'm not that holy. And man, no, no, no one is holy of their own. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that we have all sinned, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And far be it from anyone here to be holier than thou, we're all sinners. Every one of us in this room, myself included, fallen, broken in this world as sinners, which we all are, we deserve the death. Christ didn't deserve the death and I will lay that out before you as we talk this morning. Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. Romans 5, 12 says that sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Christ didn't have to die. God would Be perfectly right to punish every sinner. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Ever since the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden, mankind has been born in sin and guilt and unable to keep God's law We all know this to be true, everyone in the room. We just sent four, five, and six year olds out to have a Bible lesson. Remember when those four, five, and six year olds' parents were like just starting to toddle? You remember when you looked at your child and thought, How did you learn to talk back to me without words? How did you learn? And some of you haven't. Yeah, I see little babies in the room and it's so beautiful. They're coming. How did you learn to say no first? Dad is such an easier word. How did you learn, little, beautiful child? When I say no, in your mind that translates to, you're yeah, right. Every one of us knows this to be true. Whether you've had children or not, you've witnessed a child unable to speak, being utterly rebellious to the authority God put in their life. We've all watched it happen, every one of us in the room. And if you haven't, spend time with people who have children and you'll experience that we don't have to teach sin. We don't have to teach the brokenness that we are. Now, sin shows itself in many ways. We begin seeing it in humanity from those little ages. It exposes itself that Quickly, oh, no, 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 not my child. Oh, yeah, yeah, your child, yeah. Don't you tell me you're the parent that's never had to raise your voice at your toddler because they're not listening to a word. Don't you tell me you've never watched your precious child do precisely what you have told them not to do, and they know not to do it, but they can't help it. It manifests itself early, but it manifests itself in many ways. I am not going to put qualifications on sin I am not going to tell you this morning what things are and what things are not sin. I'm going to define it in one way. Sin has only one definition. Even though it manifests itself in many ways, it has one definition. Sin is any and all disobedience to God. It's that simple. Sin is any and all disobedience to God. I like this response to the question, what is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, not being or doing what he requires in his law. And you might start of thinking, I might not know you from Adam, you may be thinking, hey, whoa, hang on. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. I have said before, To many even in this room, perhaps I've said it to you, I would like to think that you are a good person, and by the world's standards, you may be an excellent person, but I am not talking about the standards of the world. I'm not sure if you've paid attention, but the world's standards are swirling the toilet bowl. What standard are you talking about when you say you're a good person? I'm talking about God's standard as revealed in his word to us by him. You may be a good person by the world standard, but we are talking about God's standard, which is absolute, perfect, holiness. Pause. I didn't just tell all of you to be absolutely perfect and holy because I yell at my kids too. And I get angry and want to say words I shouldn't too. That's called sanctification. It happens over a long period of time. God's standard is absolute, Perfect holiness, which again, we all fall short of. I'm a good person, but are you obeying God? Are you doing what God says, being what he says? Are you rejecting or ignoring God in your life? Now, the good news for you is that you don't owe me an answer to that, but you will owe an answer. The Bible says that God's law stops the mouth of every man. Parents of older children, you remember the time or times, maybe yesterday or maybe even this morning or maybe a couple years ago. But put yourself there when you knew so overwhelmingly what child had done what, and you were coming down. Right? You with me? And you got there, and that kid is and then all of a sudden it's just why? Because the law of mom and dad just stopped the mouth. Of the child. That is precisely what God's law does to every single person. You will stand before God and you may list out a run of excuses, but God's law will stop your mouth. You will be silenced before God. His law is perfect. Hebrews chapter 4 says that all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him, God to whom we must give an account. Well, that doesn't matter. He didn't see that. He won't hold that against me. It's okay. Listen, that's the doctrine of the world right now, and it's a false doctrine, and you're not going to find that here today. I pray you never find it in this gathering. It doesn't matter what you do, how you live. It's okay. No, every single person is going to be held accountable to the eye of God who is seeing everything you do. God knows if you are being or rejecting, ignoring, or doing what He has required of His people. God knows if that's happening or not. You're not going to hide that from Him. We need to be made right with God. We can't do it. No mere human ever could. No mere human will ever be able to make us right with God. We cannot perfectly obey the law. As soon as I try to do what is right, I do what is wrong and I feel my failure. That's just an honest testimony from this man to you. As soon as I want to do what I know I should do, Paul works this out in Romans, I want to do what is right, but I can't do it. Why? Because sin is real and we fight it. Jesus Christ fought sin and won Every single time the Bible says he did not sin. No mere human could, can, or ever will be able to keep God's law perfectly and make us right with God. Christ didn't have to die, but God is merciful. And that is good news to us on this Lord's Day. It's strange for us to think that God being unmerciful simply means the death of everyone. No love. No acceptance through faith by grace into the family of God. No salvation. Every single person born to Adam from the sin in the garden has deserved the justice of God, which is death. But God is merciful. Christ died to reconcile sinful man to a holy God. Why did he have to die? He didn't have to, but he chose to. And in his dying, he reconciles all that is sinful and awful and contrary to God. He reconciles all of that in us to a holy God. Mankind is guilty of sin, We're unable to atone for sin, unable to be made right with God and therefore unable to be with God. Do you understand man in his natural state born into this world without the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is out of the presence of God forever with no hope of re-entry. Someone had to die for us. Mankind needed a Redeemer You needed someone to stand between you and God fully, wholly, rightly. You needed a Redeemer to be truly human. I'm explaining deep things and I hope simply. You needed a Redeemer to be truly human. Because the law of God had to be obeyed perfectly. And we couldn't but they could not just be a mere human. They needed to be truly human and truly God. And I want everyone to be warned that there are people who will tell you that's why God has so many different persons. They're all different things. There's Well, there is the truly human, but there is also the truly God. No, no, that's false. There is one person who is truly human and truly God. He needed to be human so that he could perfectly obey all of God's law and suffer the punishment for sin. You're like, but wait, that's not just. No, it's not. Perfectly obeyed the law and suffered the punishment for sin, but needed to also be truly God so that the obedience and the suffering would be perfect and effective. Do you understand? Let me explain it like this. I deserve death for sin. If I die for your sin, I've done nothing for you because I deserve it. Follow? If I die for your sin, it means nothing because I deserve that for my sin. You deserve that for your sin. But Jesus Christ did not deserve that for our sin. I lay my life down that I may take it up again. We needed a Redeemer Someone who didn't deserve the wages of sin. Someone who didn't need to die, but chose to die, but needed to die to pay for our sin. A redeemer. The big words for those Bible-astute people in the room, the big words are penal, substitutionary, atonement. Those are the big words. You want them later? Ask me. You can look them up. It is a beautiful, fantastic biblical doctrine that says this. Jesus took the punishment we deserved as a substitute for what we couldn't do to atone for our sin. He did it the simple way. He paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. For anyone who, by grace through faith in Jesus, trusts Jesus as Lord, Jesus Christ is that Redeemer. There are many in the room today as I look around. I know you, I know your testimonies, I know your stories. There are so many in the room who have placed their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're saying in your head, "Well, I talk, I have no idea if I've ever done that. Jesus Christ is that Redeemer for you. Please continue to listen, please continue to pay attention, and please ask questions afterwards about this. For anyone who by grace through faith trusts Christ as Lord... Jesus is the Redeemer. Listen to this resume of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Redeemer. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, tempted in every way as we are yet without sin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended to heaven, seated at God's right hand, and coming to judge the living and the dead. His testimony right here in verse 13 and verse 16 seals all this. Look what he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now listen, we're not Greek people, so this doesn't make much sense for us, but to a Greek person reading that Alpha and Omega, they know that is full spectrum from one to the end complete. There's nothing outside of Alpha and Omega when Christ says that. And it's so beautiful that across Revelation, it's said so many times. I am Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and end. He says down in verse 16, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He's getting so deep there as As readers back 2,000 years ago, if a Jewish person had read those words, I am the root and descendant of David, they would have grabbed a hold of every promise of God from Abraham all the way through and said, He's the king. He's the one we have been waiting for. He's the one, the root of David, the king to redeem, the king to rule, the king to establish his throne forever and ever. Believe on him We just take it for granted as a nice catchy cliche to put on a picture and post to our Facebook account. But for the original readers and still for us today, this is Christ saying, I'm it. I am the show. Give me glory, worship me, come to me, faith in me. I died for you. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Is there something to accomplish in his rising? He didn't have to die, but he did. What did he do? He had to accomplish something. What did he accomplish? He accomplished atonement for our sin, which no one else could do. Did he accomplish something then in his rising? If he died but didn't have to stay dead, is there something for him to do? Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says that he was delivered up for our trespasses, sin, delivered up for our sin, and raised for our justification. Simply, in one sentence, if Christ isn't raised from the grave, we have nothing to believe in, thereby we have nothing to save us. Dead for sin, alive for salvation. That's simple. So simple. In Christ's rising from the dead, God justifies those who, through faith, believe in Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 26 says, this happened So that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You know what that means? Your sin demands a cross. And God was going to have a cross for your sin. And God is just because he punished sin for everyone who believes on Jesus. Sin is punished. He's just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In his death, sin is atoned for. In his resurrection, many are made righteous people doubt the Bible. I said that one of the things I wanted to make known today, the return of Christ because of the resurrection. People doubt the Bible all day long. I don't believe it. I don't believe a word of it. I don't believe any of it. How many of you, just show of hands, why not? It's Easter Sunday. Let's have fun. How many of you have had somebody tell you, I don't believe a word in the Bible, right? Everybody looked around and everybody said, wow, that's been said to a lot of people. How I many have had it said to you more than once by more than one person? And every looked around and said, "Oh man, a lot of people out there that don't believe in the Bible." You're right, Christian. I hope you understand the urgency of our work as God's people. People doubt the Bible. I don't believe it. They'll say, "But let's consider the evidence, shall we?" There was a dead body that was put into a tomb that was sealed. History tells us this. Like, you don't have to believe the Bible to find out that this is fact. A dead body put into a tomb, the tomb was sealed, it's over. And three days later, early in the morning at dawn, that tomb was opened and the dead body was gone. And do you know what body has never been found ever since? The body of our Lord. No one has ever said, I saw the dead body of Jesus Christ. But you know what people did say? I saw the living body of Jesus Christ. He didn't only just come out of the tomb, you understand. He came out of the tomb and showed himself to more than 500 people. I was thinking about this this past week. I won't follow this illustration very long, but I was thinking about this. Yeah, well, Jimmy Hoffa died, and nobody's ever found his body either. Right, and nobody's ever seen him alive either. Think about all the people that have died. Nobody's ever seen him living ever again. But Jesus Christ has more than 500 witnesses in history, fact, that he was alive after he was dead and the tomb was open, the body was gone, and no one can explain it. And the Bible tells us that certain religious leaders said to certain guards who fell certainly asleep when God came down and opened the grave, Here's some money, keep it quiet. Why? Because they didn't know where the dead body was either. Where's his body? I don't believe the Bible. Fine, tell me where the body of Jesus Christ is. Take me to his grave. Show me the evidence in history. Tell me what happened to the body of the Lord. And when you run out your excuse and reasons, I will tell you, there isn't a body to find. It's living. You're looking. What does the guy say in the garden? Why do you, oh, blessed words, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. There's an empty tomb, a missing body. The testimony of many is having seen Jesus alive and many of those who testified to seeing him alive died because of that testimony. I've told you this before. If I have the choice of believing someone who's willing to die for what they say or someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, I'm going with the person that's willing to die for what they're saying. And history has shown over and over that Christians throughout the world, throughout time, have been willing to lose their life. Christian, I hope you're ready. Willing to lose their life on the testimony of Jesus Christ. Not only that, over the last 2,000 years, the movement that began out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which today we call the Church of the Living God, and so did Paul to Timothy in chapter 3. The church, the household of God. The church has continued to grow. If this was all a sham, there's no way that any of us are going to be here this day doing what we're doing. Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been raised, then he is returning. And now we get uncomfortable. Verse 12 confronts us. Look at verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, the first and the last. Look again at verse 12. I am coming soon... Bringing my recompense with me. I don't know what version of the Bible you have, but I know that every English translation of God's word has either the word recompense, very few, or the word reward, very many. It's very likely that if you are not reading an English Standard Version Bible like I am, that your Bible has the word reward. Now, I am not tampering with or changing God's word, this is the word that they used. However, to the original person hearing this, reward means something different than where our mind goes. We have one, one reference, one frame of mind when we hear the word reward, and it's a good thing. It's a, it's a fun thing. It's something that I want. It's I'm taking the bad guy in and I'm going to get the reward. I worked hard, I'm going to get the reward. I cleaned my room, I'm going to get the reward, right? Reward is always a good thing. I'm going to be rewarded, be rewarded, be rewarded, The original word here for reward has wrapped up in it both a negative and a positive. It's not automatically just a good thing. So some might read this and say, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And I could very easily begin teaching and preaching a works-based faith here. If it's going to be based on what I've done, I'm going to be the best person I can be, and I'm going to get that reward. No, 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 and wait. the original audience of the apostle John's letter the revelation of Jesus Christ when they read this they would have understood John quoting Jesus as simply saying Christ is returning with judgment for everyone Christ is returning for judgment with everyone. I will repay so my, my recompense, my reward with me. Well, that sounds good. To repay each one for what he has done. Well, I'm a good person. That sounds even better. Well, let's look first. Christ is returning as judge. First Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 1. Jesus Christ is the judge living in the dead. Romans 14 10. All will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Then there's verse 14 and 15 right here in the text before us sheds light on the negative and the positive. And now we talk about the blessing in Christ's return for those who have believed in his resurrection. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. For those who have believed through faith in Jesus Christ, you're here this morning and you Your testimony is, I believe on the basis of faith, not my own works, nothing that I've done, all the work of Christ. I believe through faith in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God for your sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why Christ died. Why did he have to die? Because God's wrath had to be satisfied. That's what Friday was all about. That's what the cross of Christ is all about. The big words, that's the propitiation you may read in your Bible. That's the appeasement, the atonement, the satisfaction of God for sin. For those who through faith believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ reconciles us to a holy God. And look, verse 14, look at what is coming for those who live a life of repentance toward God and faith in Christ. Look, blessed are those who wash their robes blessed. How? Look at what's said. So that, two things, they may have the right to the tree of life and enter the city by the gates. Two really quick thoughts on those. One, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Blessing, eternal. Do you understand? The tree that's being talked about is the tree removed from mankind in Genesis chapter 3. God says, Genesis chapter 3 verse 22. Now, lest he, Adam, who had sinned, reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And God banished mankind from the Garden of Eden. Furthermore, God banished mankind from his presence. You are no longer allowed to be here. I am holy. You are not. There is a separation now that exists between us, a separation that could only be bridged by someone perfectly dying for our sin and making a way for us to come back to God. Do you understand how important the cross of Christ becomes to all of human history? Banished from God's presence unable to get back in. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to what? Wash our robes. We're stained, every one of us. That's why the young child turns to sin and not righteousness. Robes are stained. They get to take from that tree that perfect holy tree of eternal life blessed at christ's return they're blessed they get to take of the tree of life look what else they get to enter the city by the gate i was thinking about this no other way in no other way parents in the room you're not smuggling your children into the gates you're not hiding them in your pocket and taking them through the gate with you you're not smuggling in sneaking in climbing over the wall you go in to the city of god by the gate Fascinating then that Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 7, I'm the gate and it's a narrow one. I'm the door, come this way. Fascinating. You want to get into the city of God? It is only going to be through Jesus Christ that you enter the city. And if you enter the city and you take of the tree of life, God says, blessed. You have been blessed. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Christ's return enduring faith in the promise of God and the Lord Jesus Christ will see the blessing of God. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 says this, no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more of this wretched body of death plagued by illness, plagued by sin, no more the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ will at last be ushered back into presence of God fully restored as his beloved children holy for all eternity heirs, the Bible says heirs of God, receiving all that God has and co-heirs with Christ oh I can't even, I I don't know how long we'd be here to, to digest the riches of Christ that we inherit in eternity that's the blessing that awaits those with faith in Christ, now the warning those who have not believed in Christ. For those who refuse to call on the name of the Lord, and we all know them, don't we? Perhaps at this moment, right now in this room, hardened, resistant, I don't think so, never gonna, I don't believe a word of it. For those who refuse to call on the name of the Lord, those who lived hardened, disobedient lives toward God, listen to the warning of Scripture, God's wrath still exists for you. Everything that Christ endured on the cross waits for you. Everything you read in Revelation waits for you. The warning is strong from God. The scripture warns us flee. Flee from the coming wrath. It's coming. And you're here today, not by chance. You're here today so that a sovereign and holy and loving God could make his appeal through me, a weak and sinful vessel, telling you, repent and believe the gospel. My wrath is coming for you. How many of us? Hey, uh, we know you're in the school right now, but the building's going to cave in. We're just going to stand around and watch it happen on us? How many? Hey, roof's coming down. Let's all just get in a big huddle and wait right here. No, no. Are we stupid? No. Oh, uh, building's on fire. Get out. No, nah, I'm okay. What? The building's on fire. Get out. Pastor, kind of heavy on this. Yes, because I don't know who has and who has not placed their faith in Jesus. And the warning is strong, it is emphatic from God, his wrath is coming, and it's coming soon. On a day unknown, at a time unknown. Like you have an invitation in your hand, you need an RSVP. When do I need to get this RSVP in? Soon. There's no date. Soon. Unknown. Soon. As a result of Adam's disobedience, man was removed from the presence of God. The wrath of God is coming, Colossians 3 says, because of sin. Ephesians 5, 6 says, because of sin, the wrath is coming on sons of disobedience. At Christ's return, those without faith in Christ will be separated for eternity from God's presence. Eternal separation from God. I wrote these down. Look at the negative, right? Negative and positive when Christ says recompense, reward. That sounds like a good thing. Well, wait, because I don't know if you're looking at the positive or the negative. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ or not? Right now. Every one of you in the room can answer this question right now. Do you, right now, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for your sin and rose from the grave on the third day, is reigning in heaven, will return to take us home? Do you believe that right now? Okay, your answer now, yes or no, your answer. We looked at the positive, the reward of being ushered into the city. Now look at the negative of Christ's recompense. Verse 15, outside, no tree of life, no gate into the city. You're not in the city. No robes washed clean. You're stained and filthy for all eternity. There's no hope of ever escaping the wretched, sinful mess you are right now without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside, look at this, are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, And everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Not blessed. Those are not blessed things. And everybody said, I don't fit that list. Revelation chapter 20 verse 8. The list grows. The cowardly. The faithless. The detestable. Murderers. Again. Sexual. Immoral. Again. Sorcerers. Again. Idolaters. Again, you know why those things? Immoral. Murderers. You know why those things? Because that's all mankind is without being changed by the goodness of God. We kill, we steal, we worship whatever we want. We, there's no truth in us. When we speak, Jesus says, you speak as your father, the devil, who is a liar. Liars. Revelation 20, verse 8 says, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, eternal death, eternal punishment. Jesus, in Matthew twenty five thirty into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, verse 41, into eternal fire. Revelation 20, verse 15, the lake of fire. There will be no, and I know there are some have told me in the room, this was the mindset among you. You know people that have this mindset. You know what? I don't want to go to heaven and be with all those stuffed shirt, boring people in heaven. I can't wait to party in hell. I grew up with people that made that claim. Can't wait for it. No wrong. You will not party in hell. You will burn eternally and not die. You will ache eternally and not be soothed. You will feel unquenching fire on your body and never put it out. You will be eternally separated from God. Behold, I am coming. My recompense is with me to reward those with faith And to punish those without faith. Are you sitting here this morning with or without faith? I warn you, according to the truth of God's word and by the authority that he gives his people to make this plea, flee the coming wrath. Believe in Jesus. Run to Christ. And so, the invitation before Christ's return. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Behold, I am coming soon. The cry of God's people for over 2,000 years. Christ came, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose, he ascended into heaven. He is returning. When he returns, he will judge the nations, vanquish his enemies, and reign eternal. But that return hasn't happened yet. For those in the room without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is still hope in this moment, right now. I cannot, nor will I, guarantee you that the plans you have made when you walk out of those doors will succeed. And I won't dare scare you into thinking about these things. Your life is declared by God and its moments are unknown this life will come to an end. There is still hope right now. You have a question coming before you to wrestle down and answer to. An invitation is going out from the Lord Jesus Christ, by His spirit, by the bride, his church, by all blood-bought, redeemed believers throughout the world. Come, come, drink look what he says verse 17. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come. Logical thought in light of all that has been presented. For those who in the room do not yet believe in the Lord Jesus Christ leads to the question that has been asked countless times over the centuries. What then must I do? To be saved. What do I do? We heard the scripture this morning. The word is near you, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The spirit and the bride. Say, come. Repent and believe the gospel. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God's word says to you, you will be saved. Christ is not in the tomb. If Christ is not in the tomb, he is returning. If he is returning and he says, call on me and you will be saved, you will be saved. Come, those who are thirsty, come those who desire take the water of life without price begin right now pastor what do i do do i do i come up front do i raise my hand do i stand up do i what do i do you call on the name of the lord and you can do that right where you are you can mull this over the rest of today short and unguaranteed as it is you can mull it over as long as you want the end is coming but you have to wrestle with the question will i trust christ Or will I continue to trust my own power? Will I continue to not believe? Will I look for the reward that comes for the faithful in Jesus? Or will I look for the punishment that comes for those without faith in Christ? You can begin right now. What do I do? You call in the name of the Lord. From your heart, believe in your heart, call in the name of the Lord God, save me, I am a sinner. Father, forgive me. Oh, he could never forgive me if you only knew the sinner I was. The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin and to cleanse us. I don't care what you've done. There is forgiveness through Jesus Christ by faith. Begin right now. Surround yourselves with Christians. We do this every week. It's not just, hey, happy Easter, we're in church. No, every single week, the Lord has risen. Faith in Christ, we're going to heaven. This world's not my home. I've been bought, the tomb is empty, he's coming back. Do not harden your heart, do not run away. Call on the name of the Lord for the believer because many of you thought, well, this is just for the person who doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible is never only for those who don't have faith in Jesus Christ. It's always for all people, faithful and faithless. For the believer, blessed. I wonder, do you walk around seeing the blessing that awaits you at the return of Christ? See that blessing in the city, eating of the tree, washed robes. Allow the promise of God to encourage you and build you up in your faith as you endure in this life. Join the spirit and the bride. It says the spirit says come. The bride says come and let All who hear say, come, brothers and sisters, that's the redeemed. Come, come, come and drink freely from the water of life. Our Father, on your throne, holy and gracious, God, we thank you for the word that you have given us. And I pray now, Father, that as we sing and as we go on with our day, and many other plans in a man's heart, but it is your purpose that endures. Father, you assembled this people here this day to hear this word, and I pray, Father, you have said your word will not return empty. God, I pray that today is the day of salvation. Save, Father, for only you can. We thank you, God, that you... Chose to die, and that you came back to life. We praise you, Father. The tomb is empty. Lord Jesus, we praise you. You walked out of the tomb, and one day you will walk out of the sky and take us to be with you. Father, in this room, save. May those without faith come to it today from the preaching of your word. Father, and may Christians be encouraged to walk in the life that you have called us to. Father, you are good. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's Word.